Perhaps one of the most important things that happened this week was the death of Osama bin Laden and the various reactions that follow that. Many of the people who I have been with this week, as I have had a need myself, want to discuss those events. I don't think uh, the best way to do that is from the pulpit, but one-on-one -on -one where we can have an interchange. So if you'd like to be part of that conversation, uh, please let me know after the service because I'm going to focus on the lessons this morning. In 1978, when I was studying to become a spiritual director, Ron Del Bean, the man leading the course, taught us a number of ways that people grow and change so that when the people we were working with began to change using prayer and meditation, we might have a number of tools at our disposal to help them understand that change. One of the models he shared with us was one discovered or elucidated by Bruce Noyes of the University of Iowa. Bruce had a theory about the process of grieving. Now we all knew about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her five um, stages from denial to hopeful acceptance, but this theory of noise was quite different and I have found very hope hopeful and helpful over the years. His way of understanding the process of grief is to understand then when there is someone in our life with, which, with whom we have an important relationship, it is as if we construct a world around that person, around our relationships. And we know that person, that person knows us, within that world. When that person leaves our life, or when that person dies, that world is in many ways shattered. His idea was that though we not, may not still continue to exist and relate to that person in the old world, there is a way to relate to them in a new world and that the process of grieving is the process of moving from one world to another and that's facilitated by the telling of stories. When my father died in 1971, it was, as you can imagine, a very difficult and devastating time. One of the first things that helped me was when my friends, my peers, came to me and started sharing their memories, their stories 
of my dad. As they told those stories, I began to get, even in the midst of my loss and confusion, a clear picture of who my dad was for others. At that point, I then could begin to hear the stories my family was telling about my dad. And indeed, as all of that got clearer, I was somehow enabled to begin to tell my own stories. And the image of my dad became clearer and clearer. In the midst of that, as you might imagine, I had an invitation to come to the altar rail and receive Holy Communion. And I noticed that when I received the consecrated bread and wine, when I was, as it were, closer to God, I perceived my Father's closeness and life and presence. And all of a sudden, those theories about eternal life and everlasting life were no longer just theories. They were experience. I experienced my dad in a new world, a new world with God, and that when I was close to God, I could be close to my dad. I could continue to relate to him in a very, very different way, but still a powerful and transformative way in that new world. Now, I share both that theory and that experience with you because it has really helped me understand the gospel lesson that Linda just read this morning. In that lesson, we have two anonymous disciples. One of them, we don't ever learn his name. The other one, we know his name, Cleopas, but Cleopas was never heard of before this incident and never heard of again. So this is clearly, clearly a story about the anonymous. It's a story about you and about me and how we walk through those difficult moments in life. Those two disciples were lost. They had attended Jesus' funeral, and then they'd left to walk back home. I imagine almost every one of us has been at the graveside for a funeral. The body is lowered into the ground. The service is over. And we then have to turn and begin our walk home. It's often exactly at that point 
that the excruciating pain of our loss becomes most vivid. It's at that moment that those difficult questions, why did this happen? Why did this happen to him? She was so young. She was such a good person. And all these jerks continued to live on. Why? Why? And those questions become alive in us. And just when we most need it, God feels distant and absent. Many of you perhaps know the poem, Footsteps in the Sand. The poem about a dialogue between a Christian and Jesus. And in that dialogue, they're talking about the Christian's life. And at some point in their conversation, the disciple turns around and looks back on his life and sees footsteps in the sand and says, Jesus, like in that story about Cleopas, I see you walking with me. But what's troubling Jesus is that the difficult moments in my life, I don't see two sets of footsteps. I see only one. And Jesus says, oh yes, that's when I was carrying you. So the first point about this story is that God is always with us as we journey through life, and particularly in those difficult moments. But then the question arises, why in those difficult moments don't we perceive Jesus walking with us? Now, that's too large a question to address in one sermon. But let me just point to one part of what ultimately is a mystery. And that is, sometimes we don't perceive God is there, that Jesus is there, because we're looking for the wrong God. We're not looking for the God that is. And so when Cleopas and that other disciple walked and Jesus was with them, they could not experience that friend as Jesus because they were looking for a different kind of Messiah. So Jesus had to explain, you know, in this world, Good does not always triumph. Often, God's will is thwarted. Often, the good people in life do not experience success. Rather, they experience the cost of trying to do good. They may even experience failure. 
And the point is, the point is that our faith is not that God will win every battle, but that God will ultimately win the war over death, evil, and loss. So my first two points, I hope, are a comfort to you in those times when you experience sadness and loss. But ultimately, God's hope is not just that God will comfort us, but that if we're enabled to be opened to the experience of God's presence and God's comfort, we will be transformed, enlivened in such a way that we experience not just comfort, but like those two disciples in the story today, have that, have our hearts enlivened so we can continue about the work of reconciliation and restoration that Jesus began. Last Sunday, Bishop Ahrens with, was with us. She provided wonderful leadership in the 8 and 10 o'clock service. There was the confirmation of 14 of our young people and two adults at the second service. That was followed by a reception and celebration for those families and confirmands. And then we sat down, the vestry and I, with the bishop for lunch. After a little bit of introductions and chit-chats, she turned to us and said, I would like each and every one of you to share the story of one time in your life when you knew you were doing God's work. And one after another, member of the vestry, shared a story, and those are not my stories to tell, about how in doing God's work, they'd experienced God's presence and been strengthened and encouraged and enlivened to continue that work, just like Peter was in the first lesson. Let me share the story I was caused to remember. Back in the 80s, when the boat people, the refugees, were leaving Cambodia and Thailand and Vietnam and voyaging off in some very unseaworthy crafts to try to find a new life. And we were reading that Many of them were being lost at sea or even murdered by pirates. I was a member of a very conflicted parish in Dearborn, Michigan. That parish could get together to do very little good because of the conflict. But we heard about a Lutheran parish that had invited one of those boat families into their life. And we asked them to come and talk about it. 
One evening they came and told that story, and they brought a young man who was part of that family who could speak a little broken English. You know, I can't remember a word he said, but I couldn't take my eyes off of his eyes. His eyes haunted me, and I could not understand them. The next morning in prayer, I realized that I had been looking not at the young man's eyes, but at the eyes of Jesus. I had seen Jesus in that refugee, and others had as well. And the experience of Jesus in our midst, in the midst of that tragedy, was transforming. It enabled us to come together as we hadn't been able to come together before. It enabled us to bring eight or nine families to this country where they experienced an openness to new life, to a freedom they had never known, and to a hope they could only dream of. Jesus we thank you that you are always in our world. You are here to comfort us. Enable us to be open to your transforming love as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.